don't know what we can do with that. Probably nothing. No. Um, yeah, I don't even know how you comment on that. Or I think we just we just say there there's a bit of an indiscretion uh, on Ray Park's uh, social media this week. We're not really sure what it means. Maybe it's a Tiger Woods thing about to unfold. Maybe it's just a total laughable mistake. But if you're curious, just search by yourself with no kids in the room. Yeah, there's a chance that he's either stupid, a terrible person, or a victim of a hacking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's unfortunately one of three things and are kind of in total different directions. Okay. Well, you know what we should do? Um, I just started recording. Um, I'll just stick it in at the beginning of the episode and I'll include you saying, hey, I'll, I'll just let you know this before and I won't include the part where you're especially vulgar. Okay. <laughs> Hello, I am C-3PO and I believe the storyteller is ready. So let us begin. Yes, let us begin indeed. This week, the story that we're telling is one that features characters. Last week, we discussed uh, some of our favorite bits of dialogue, some lines in Star Wars that we really appreciated. This week, we're going to discuss some characters, but uh, not such an easy uh, conversation as discussing our all-time favorite Star Wars characters. We made it a little more difficult for ourselves, and we decided to pare it down to our top six favorite Star Wars characters who have less than 10 minutes of screen time in the, in Skywalker, the Skywalker saga. Right, yeah. in those nine movies. And so we've each picked uh, a top six list, um, and hopefully our picks will help you pick uh, some of your own. We're also going to go over some honorable mentions, uh, people who absolutely deserve uh, some uh, some reference for their major contribution to Star Wars, if for a lack of minutes spent on screen. Because that's really kind of what we're doing right now, mm. is, is celebrating how effective you can be in this wonderful saga with only a short amount of time. Oh, absolutely. And there's some really, there's some surprising ones. There's some that you, you always think of. And then it's, uh, it impresses you more when you see just how little screen time it is or how little screen time per movie in some cases. Um, this all stems initially from the, the notion that Darth Vader has, uh, I think, I believe nine and a half minutes of screen time in, in a new hope or something around there. Right, Hannibal so, Lecter is like a prime example of somebody who just, his yeah. presence is so, um, Un undeniable in the movie and yet he doesn't actually appear that much and, and vader is a, a great example of that too yeah and so this is one that uh covers significantly more films uh and in a lot of cases um multiple appearances in in multiple films but still coming in under that 10 minute mark across the nine films of the skywalker saga in some cases just a singular film but it provides a a little bit kind of a, of an interesting take is to see who was able to make the 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 largest amount of impression in their screen time. And for me, I also have a bit of a different perspective because I have larger exposure to other canon materials that have allowed me to fall in love with other characters more uh, and appreciate them potentially in other mediums significantly more than their movie medium. But for the sake of this list, uh, you told me I mean, you can't really ultimately discern your feelings that cleanly. And so no. may as well just go with um, all the information that I know to make the lists the, that are here. Yeah, your feelings about a character are inexorable. If they happen to appear, 
you know, in, in the Clone Wars, and so you've spent a few more, more than 10 minutes with them, that's fine with me, because they're still in the Star Wars movies, the Skywalker saga, exactly. less than 10 minutes, that's all that really matters. Now, I should make a clarification as long as we're talking about Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. Uh, we're talking about collective time spent in all nine movies, and so yes. um, if you only appear in one movie and you have less than 10 minutes screen time, you absolutely qualify. If you appear in six movies and you have less than 10 minutes screen time, you qualify, but because Darth Vader is in less than 10 minutes of A New Hope, he still doesn't count because Anakin Skywalker is in two hours and 41 minutes of Star Wars. He, he is actually the most prominent character in Star Wars, and so right. it does not count at all. Um, and so it very much needs to be the collection. Uh, I actually don't think there are any characters that go over the 10-minute threshold that are in the Skywalker saga and also in Rogue One or Solo, a Star Wars story. Okay. And so even if we had included them in our lists, there may potentially be a character from one of those movies that were in our lists. There is no one from the Skywalker saga that gets pushed over that 10 minute threshold from either of those movies either. And so that's another little interesting tidbit. Well, I'd be shocked if there is. I can't think of anyone. And so I don't think there is. Right. Okay. So a bit of a cross section of, of people who are really prominent. You'd think they're in more and people who you're perfectly aware are not in it that much, but they just mean a lot to us. And these are still discussions of some of our favorites. And of course that, um, uh, features our feelings about how important they are, but mostly just on an emotional gut level. This is what we think. Um, how about you start this week with your number six, tell me the name of the person, their time spent on screen in Star Wars, and then you can tell me uh, some of your thoughts on why you chose that person. Well, I'm going to start out by talking about uh, the time spent on screen. And so I will say six minutes, 45 seconds. And uh, this character we uh, see in we see in three films. Um, I'm going to say only two equal the, the total time spent on screen. Uh, you can maybe add a one extra second, two seconds maybe in screen time. Um, but this particular character, uh, may be potentially one of the most badass, uh, apprentices in star Wars or the most, uh, uh, realistic meat puppet in, in galactic history. And that would be a uh, Supreme leader. Oh, okay. uh, the man who is cut in half by Kylo Ben, uh, in the last Jedi, uh, a really interesting character. One that I, uh, I loved the, the usage of in the force awakens, a ton of uh, just mystery around the character. I believe it's uh, two minutes in The Force Awakens and 444 or 445 in The, um, in the Last Jedi. Uh, but the speech that's no, the speeches that he gives to Rey and to, to Kylo Ren and to Hux uh, in The Last Jedi are incredible. Uh, and uh, the arrogance of the character works perfectly when you really figure out the role that he plays in Palpatine's grand plans. Uh, and so I'm no, although I'm not a huge fan of how quickly they wrapped up Snoke in the rise of Skywalker. Um, it under no circumstances, uh, is any of my criticism in that film. Uh, I really think that it makes a ton of sense. Uh, there are some things described about Snoke beyond, uh, what actually occurs in the force awakens. That means it very, it's very unlikely that the initial plan was for him to be kind of a meat puppet uh, or just kind of a grown vessel that is potentially clone, uh, controlled by uh, Palpatine directly or indirectly. Don't really know which it is. Um, 
but the role that he serves ultimately in being that hurdle for Kylo Ren to kill, ultimately Palpatine's kind of test to determine, okay, how much possessive power do I have over this boy? Can I actually get him to do what I could never get Vader to do? Vader can never kill me, and ultimately I could never move into his body, ultimately, and then I would have gone after Luke through Vader because Vader's body was garbage. But Snoke's body's garbage as well, so we're not going to even deal with that. I just that's a, a cloned <laughs> vessel. So if Kylo kills him, like he's not, no one's moving into each other there. I'm going to stay right here, but like this is going to get me some a little bit of extra control into Kylo. I mean, I've always been controlling him through Snoke. Potentially, uh, the conversation that uh, Palpatine has uh, in Kylo's head in the Rise of Skywalker is because uh, Kylo kills Snoke. There's potential that that is the allowing of that passing of Snoke into Kylo in sort of a way, furthering uh, Palpatine's control. But Palpatine's had influence through Vader talking to to Kylo uh, from a young young age. Every voice Uh, you've heard in your head. Exactly. And I truly love that scene. It's my favorite scene uh, in Rise of Skywalker, except maybe the Han Solo scene. Um, but that opening scene with uh, Kylo's exploration, and it's fascinating because as much as Snoke is seen for one second in it, it's very much um, the story of Snoke, kind of showing his his role in that and Kylo, the role that he played for specifically Ben Solo turning into Kylo Ren. Uh, and so although there's a lot of shit they don't explain with Palpatine, uh, I'm somehow really okay with just your tank of Snopes being uh, that explanation because it, it it does make a lot of sense and it works. Amazingly, I never actually put together the the parallel of Kylo killing Snoke is just like Palpatine killing Plagueis. And that's interesting because before we had any idea who Snoke was and week by week we were just theorizing mm. who he might turn out to be. Of course, we had the discussion of whether or not he would turn out to be Darth Plagueis the Wise because there's, there's even- a lot that sure. aligns for that. Sure. Well, and there's some concept art about what Plagueis apparently looks like, and it's not so different from this deformity that is Supreme Leader Snow. Well, like, like in terms of him as a as a as immune, um, they're definitely tall, lanky, white headed. They would have changed the species in this case, uh, but no one who knew a, no one's going to be angry and be like, "Oh, that's not my Darth Plagueis." It's not that kind of thing. People would have been thrilled to see him. Um, but even still, this was a a great use case um and illustrates uh, kind of the relationship of Plagueis Palpatine further and Palpatine and his apprentices right but I think when I see Kylo kill uh Snoke it doesn't exactly feel like he's killing his master to then be the one true Sith Lord because it, it kind of feels like he's siding with Rey for that split second when you first see Last Jedi yeah. you're like oh he just turned good and so I never really associated the two but of course it's similar and especially when you factor in um, uh, Palpatine's modus operandi that's exactly yeah. his his ideal way of rising to power is killing your your upperling and so that's a great observation and I mean we'd be remiss not to just throw huge props to Andy Serkis who should have an Academy Award by now for his yes. tremendous uh, contribution to motion capture in in film um, he I mean he uh, people disappear in characters all the time the talented people he literally mm-hmm. does and, and of course with it's incredible with the assistance of, of you know technology but like yep. He is just, in a way, because of his like fundamental um, uh, mastery of that technology and that system, he is mm-hmm. the most chameleon actor of all time. 
and it's yeah he amazing. does deserve a special achievement oscar yeah. um, like he, he's he is made one of the top 20 most unique uh on camera contributions an actor can make in probably the history of film unique being the key word there but it's just like uh but even ahmed best is an interesting pioneer of that field because sure. george lucas being one of the the first pioneers in that field but andy circus being truly uh, a master there and someone who can and should get another crack at star wars it's not like you can't do tons and tons of voices or be tons and tons of different characters totally. so I mean, no reason to not bring that voice back um, because, yeah, I mean, Snoke was a great character um, and we got less of him than I think we expected in this trilogy. Uh, but I was OK with that. And I think that uh, the usage of Snoke and the subversion of expectations there was one of the most exciting theater moments I've ever experienced. So for my number six, my sixth favorite Star Wars character with less than uh, 10 minute screen time, I'm going to go to the opposite end of the Skywalker saga, somebody who just barely qualifies for this list with nine minutes and 15 seconds of screen time. And that person is Shmi Skywalker, the oh. original Skywalker, nice. amazingly both the the figurehead of what Star Wars uh, interpretation of the Immaculate Conception is, which is such a huge premise. Mm -hmm. um, she's also the least developed Skywalker by a landslide. That's an amazing combination for somebody who had such an interesting story before episode one. Um, and part of that is because apart from who her son is, she is... Uh, no one from nowhere. She's another no mm -hmm. one from nowhere and uh, lives in the desert in Star Wars. But uh, doesn't the ongoing message of the saga include that nobody's from nowhere can do great things? Shmi Skywalker, of course, fits that to a T. Uh, she raised and loved with her whole self the boy who would eventually, sure, do terrible things, but then eventually go on to bring balance to the force. Um, that was her calling. And she mm -hmm. did it to the best of her ability. She also had uh, great wisdom, great lines we discussed last week. Great chemistry with Qui-Gon Jinn. Absolutely. Um, two of the great Star Wars houses, both on Tatooine. She lived in mm -hmm. both of them. Uh, don't sleep on, on Shmi Skywalker. Just because she's not your typical action franchise heroine, um, we have nothing if not for Shmi. And... Uh, of course, she propels the plot. That's really why she's there. She's so much more than a MacGuffin. She is a very graceful performance, and she deserves cred. Oh, yeah. She is uh, She's an excellent honorable mention on my list, but Shmi Skywalker is very important uh, in the role of Anakin's turn to the dark side, um, a puppet of the Force, and uh, a, a puppet of bad circumstance, um, but someone who always had a good smile and... Um, shockingly would have raised Anakin to not have been <laughs> the same kind had he stayed on Tatooine with Shmi Skywalker. I mean, Anakin wouldn't have changed the galaxy, but he also, uh, he wouldn't have become evil. It's not like he would have killed all the Tusken Raiders under that circumstance, probably. No. And he was um, so full of passion, right? Like, and obviously that was his undoing and he was easily manipulated because I mm -hmm. mean, he had a certain amount of love for Palpatine too, because he was, he was trying to fill this void that he never had in terms of his father figure. And mm -hmm. that, that, of course, plays to the Qui-Gon story as well. But strictly if we're talking about Shmi, I mean, uh, Padme is the reason he flipped, right? Padme is the thing he loves most in the world, and that's how uh, Palpatine was so uh, deftly able to manipulate Shmi's son. And he learned to love from Shmi, for sure. If he didn't have her for a mother, he might mm -hmm. not have cared so much about his wife. He also... Um 
then it's a matter of how much influence does Palpatine really have? Um, who put the visions in Anakin's head? Of uh, like, is Anakin seeing the future and saw Padme's death, or did he confide in Palpatine that he was seeing visions of his mother's death? And Palpatine knew, oh, I can do this. I can plant visions of Padme's death because Shmi did die after his visions. Did Palpatine hire the Sand People to kidnap Shmi? Um, like, what were the kind of the motivations uh, of all of those kind of key things, and and to what degree did Palpatine use that kind of abandonment to his advantage? Um, in that same way, because Anakin did, like, he was supposed to protect Padme on Naboo and said, no, we've got to go leave and go to Tatooine and I'm going to put you in danger, um, and leave you with these randos who's like my, my stepbrother, uh, and go on a, go slaughter on a, on a slaughter mission with the, uh, in the middle of the desert. It's, he loves me a ton and it, by her dying, it means, okay, Padme is Padme and Palpatine are everything. Padme, Palpatine, and Obi Wan. Like, and so it's like, but Obi Wan is further aligning himself again, like away from what Palpatine and Padme want, and and so it's just it slowly pulls the strings because there's so few people, and so bit by bit, each of them is either dead by Qui Gon dies, Shmi dies, uh, eventually Padme dies, but his fear of Padme dying. Um, but it's like the, he only has a couple people that he loves and they slowly start to wither away throughout the trilogy um, until the point where he actually kills Padme, kind of. I've never seen uh, this actress in anything else. She's wonderful. I mentioned her. Uh, Swedish, I believe. Yeah, okay. Um, I mentioned her chemistry with Qui-Gon and I know that maybe there was initially a consideration of like, should there be a love story between Shmi and, and Qui-Gon? I think that was probably... Yes, I think it was in one of the earlier scripts uh, a little bit more. Once on that. they decided it wasn't going to be that, it's very interesting that, and it's fine because it works. I didn't question it as a kid. Maybe if I saw Phantom Menace for the first time now, I'd question it. But it's very interesting that they didn't pick like a woman in their 20s to be Anakin's mother. He's only nine years old. Like it was 1997. Like why didn't they cast Alicia Silverstone to play Shmi Skywalker? Oh, I think that's a very obvious one. That is uh, going more to showing the aging on Tatooine. Oh, okay. Um, that's yeah. That, I think that's to show that the reasons why Obi Wan ages so much in that period of time. Everybody is specific. Like they go that it, there is effort made so to she, show that she is like thirty. Then age. I I don't know her age. Let's quickly look up uh, Shmi Skywalker age. Okay. Um, I mean that is kind of a and you, uh, she's not just and uh, Obi Wan's a great example too because I mean he isn't enslaved by somebody but he does live in a cave. He's he lives by himself in hiding. Um, and she obviously isn't treated well. And so she's probably not getting the SPF she needs. There's two sons for crying out loud. That doesn't make sense. Maybe she was super friggin' old. Uh, yeah, she was, she was actually, no, she's supposed to be 40 there. So that does, that is old. I mean, that's fine. Cause it doesn't like, first of all, we don't know what the rules are for fertility on Tatooine. <laughs> No, I mean, it's not old, but it just means in terms of I really thought that that was the angle, was the Obi-Wan, because I know that they, he, he's only like 55. <laughs> Did you hear that somewhere or you just kind of put it together? Because it is kind of a reach. I like it, but it is kind of a reach. Well, they've used it in a lot of other materials, uh, okay. canon and uh, like earlier depictions of uh, the novelizations of like the prequels, like talking about the Tatooine sun and its impact on like skin and aging. Okay, well, uh, we're already taking a long time to get through this list. So what's your True. number five uh, favorite Star Wars character, less than 10 minutes screen time? Uh, this is the biggest cheat uh, out there. I cheat a little bit too later on. 
Do you? Because yeah. my cheat is cheating, but also at the same time, uh, very clever. Okay. Because even with this cheat, it comes in under 10 minutes. And that's the reason why I did it. Okay. Um, but the DNA is the same. <laughs> uh, Django and Boba Fett. No, that sucks. Collectively have nine minutes, 45 seconds together. That sucks. And that's stupid. Why? Because I I toiled over who I like better. Oh, did you really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is no. They are the same <laughs> character. They're not. They're not uh, ethically no, the same character at all. Motivations at a point in their life. We don't know particularly the raise in that regard. I am going to count them on the same for my list, but primarily for Django Fett. I will say that. Okay, good. Um, because Boba Fett, we don't see as much Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, he tracked Han Solo, but that's the most interesting thing we see him do. Um, that really is. The reason I'm putting uh, the character to this degree is Django. Although Boba Fett does actually have more screen time. Uh, by it's Boba has two minutes and 15 seconds as young Boba um, and a little under three minutes as um, regular Boba. And uh, Django has a little under five minutes. Right. Um, but the seismic chargers, um, the the race where he's trying to like kind of teach young Boba and the like kind of like the back and forth that they have, because he's just trying to make him the same version of himself. Um, and they're the impressive uh, capabilities that Django Fett has by, I mean, the amount of outsourcing that goes on uh, with Padme's assassination attempt is ridiculous mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of Palpatine outsourcing it to Dooku, outsourcing it to Django Fett, outsourcing it to Zam Wessel, outsourcing it to a droid, outsourcing it to the Cahoons. Yeah, that was the, never going to work. That's too many no, people. Way too many uh, <laughs> things along the line there. But uh, it shows how meticulous Django Fett is, uh, just a simple man trying to make his way in the, in the universe. Uh, but he's he covers his tracks well. He gets paid extremely handsomely uh he is playing on different levels than other bounty hunters oh yeah uh he has i mean he loses to mace windu and the jetpacks are absolutely the bane of the fett's existence although boba fett is going to become a way better character when he comes back to life in the mandalorian uh this year and so that's gonna totally skyrocket him up lists because tomorrow morrison is incredible and that's the main reason as to why uh jango fett gets the the thumbs up and as to why the character even makes the list uh, is because tomorrow Morrison is just incredible in it. Uh, and the fact that obviously that confers over to all the other clones adds a little extra to it. Uh, but he has this calm and suave demeanor um, and being able to pull that off after a character that has almost no screen time in the real digital trilogy is seen so cool. Uh, he definitely is able to, to meet that cool level when you take off the helmet. Mm. Uh, and that's a pretty freaking hard <laughs> part to hit up to. And he really does it. And so as much as Attack of the Clones has some bad parts in it, uh, Django Fett sure as shit isn't one of them. I love Camino. I, I honestly like everything that happens on oh, Camino. Oh, it's such, such a cool sequence. I completely agree. And so, yeah, that, there's my cheating because I guess uh, you, uh, you you did mull over. Is that your next one or is that a little late? It is my next after? one. So, so let's go oh, to perfect. it. perfect. That is convenient. And I'm glad that you gave Django the upper hand because I'm going to give Boba the upper hand. In fact, okay. I'm going to give him the spot. I'm not going to... I'm not going to straddle the fence like you did. Uh, um, I think. And I think I, I think I maybe miscalculated his screen time, Boba Fett, because I forgot to include uh, young Boba, but he's still under six minutes, I think. He's, he's certainly well within 10 minutes. Um, Boba Fett. And, and my reasoning was 
I at, I at first, when I was trying to come up with this list, I wrote them off right away, the way a lot of people would for Boba Fett or super fans anyway. Uh, mm. And I and I changed my mind when I thought about it a little a little longer because I think it'd be very easy for Star Wars super fans to point out as if it's a hot take at this point uh, that that Boba Fett was never a compelling character in the text of these movies. Um, it, no, he doesn't have a lot of great dialogue. He doesn't have a particularly badass demise, if that's what we want to call it. I'm talking about the Sarlacc mm-hmm. pit. Um but that a character like Boba Fett can become so many people's favorite character for decades that the look of him alone can create a wake of affection and appre- mm. appreciation that ultimately leads to a $10 million prestige uh, drama that you you just referenced. Like, honestly, we have no Mandalorian if we have no Boba Fett uh, no, being a popular not. character for years and years. That really speaks to what Star Wars can do for our imagination because these movies are a lot more than just the movies. That's just the jumping off point. Star Wars Mm -hmm. is about uh, playing with your action figures, man. It's about the poster in your bedroom. It is about your video games, your coloring books. Boba Fett is an empty canvas of a character. And that Star Wars thought to include that, I think is a beautiful gift to fans. And so, yeah, he's, he's, first of all, he looks like the coolest son of a gun in the West. Mm -hmm. And you can, I mean, we're about to learn, like you said, a lot more cool stuff about him probably before the end of this year. Thank God we got something to watch this fall. Mm. Um, And that's going to be really validating because we all want to like Boba Fett. Oh, yeah. And actually, I just made a realization that forces me to pick Django Fett um, because I did not account for the 97 uh, cut that has Boba Fett in A New Hope. Oh, okay. I don't think so. That would put. uh, He's standing in the background of the Jabba Han conversation. And so, what that uh, that eliminates him from qualification? Django. No, it puts Django and Boba together over ten minutes, which Ah. would force me to pick one of them. Which means I'll pick Django. Um, But under those circumstances, uh, one of the reasons why I also love Django Fett is because it also it's just more of Boba Fett. It gives you Boba Fett with his helmet off and in a different era because they are. Uh, identical clones and he raised him to be as much like him as possible. Now we don't know Jango Fett's upbringing, but uh, the belief would be that he was raised either by Mandalorians, uh, potentially to be a Mandalorian the same way that our, the Mandalorian Din Djarin is in the sense that it's uh, a cultural thing, not necessarily born on Mandalore. Potential that's Jango Fett's origin, or there's potentially some other origin that has uh, maybe a, a bounty hunter raising upbringing that would mean that they're even more alike as individuals. And so, and by the way, talk that's about definitely an interesting angle. Talk about saving moments in Attack of the Clones when young Boba holds his father's helmet. It's just a great shot. It's oh sad. my god! And then when the head falls out, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. That never. Happens. It doesn't. But I've always expected it too. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I also love the fact that it's the same armor. Of course, I was going to ask um, you: Do you like the squeaky clean uh, armor with bits of blue, or do you like the spray painted green armor? Uh, definitely prefer Boba's green. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is so slick. Uh, just one sec. I'm not a huge, but just one sec. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. What the hell? You have, you have like, an authentic Boba Fett helmet in your house? Why and how, and where has this been? Uh, I just got it the, the other day uh, because I was... Uh, <laughs> upset <laughs> and i just wanted to but it was also it was on sale 
It's a 40th anniversary for Empire Strikes Back. So after this year, I've checked into it. It will immediately double in value. So I didn't even feel bad about it. Oh. Because like the the New Hope Vader one is like three times the price it costs. This cost me a hundred bucks. Oh, that's um, fine. That's it's amazing, by the way. Okay, put it back on. It's a, I'm gonna. It's a full like. I'm gonna screenshot it on my phone, and uh, I'll tweet it from our at uh, Recorder Six Six Twitter. Do you want me to just like send you a, a picture of it? I took. Yeah. A, okay. Just send me a picture, and I'll tweet it. That is so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to defend that purchase to me. Oh, it is, guys. It looks. Oh wow, it's got like a. Is that like for aiming at your target? It's got like this flashing oh, yeah. red Range light. Finder. Jesus, that's cool. Okay, so over time, are you gonna build the whole suit and just like go to cons and stuff? If cons ever happen again, sorry. Are you over time gonna rebuild the whole costume and then become like a? Uh, no, probably not. Come on. <laughs> No, I mean, it's a good, uh, it'll fit perfectly in a Calyx box in one of uh, in the Kia. I'm a big fan. I think that's really awesome. Okay, whose turn is it? Your turn? Uh, it is, yes, it is my turn. So for my number four, uh, it would be uh, Grand Moff Wilhuff Tarkin. Okay, I'm a little later on the list. I kind of figured uh, there was a chance that he was going to be a little higher on your list. Uh, so I won't say much other than uh, what a great job setting the stage as ultimately the main singular antagonist in the first Star Wars film. Uh, he doesn't have as much screen time as Vader, but he is the one who is driving the ship in terms of the Death Star, kind of a snowfall. Uh, and he is the one ordering the destruction of these planets uh, and ultimately the one uh, going down with the ship uh, and his hubris um, exploding with the Death Star. Uh, but... Uh, He's such a great character. Peter Cushing wearing his slippers. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more. Uh, but uh, Tarkin, I even read the book, uh, and uh, he's a great character. Hubris is a great Very word. Very interesting. It's a great word to describe uh, Tarkin hubris because he is like a great example of somebody who's so caught up in mm -hmm. in the shit. So yeah, I oh. think that's a great choice. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick him uh, shortly. First, I want to tell you my number and four. And his voice. Oh. Uh, seriously, and you've never seen him in anything else, right? So he was condescending. Primarily a theater actor, Peter Cushing. Mm. And famously, if you don't know, he famously wore just like fuzzy slippers on set. Mm, because, because his feet hurt. Yeah, his feet, and he, they were never showing his feet anyway. My number four um, character is kind of where, I'm not cheating, I'm just kind of like bending the, the rules in terms of like why you picked the person you picked. Um, this is a character who has six minutes screen time. Almost all of it is in The Phantom Menace, apparently. I, did, you uh, find, did you find when you, were, um, when you were making these selections, you picked almost nobody who's from like the... I mean, like I picked, I picked characters from the original trilogy, sure, but it was much easier to create a big list of people from the other movies because the original movies were so tight. There's like not a lot of extra characters in those movies. I'll be honest, uh, I've got a damn good balance across the board here. It's, That's good. I, uh, like I've got some honorable mentions and I also have a, a, a 7 to 10 that I kept still ranked as well. Uh, and I can quickly go through those after. But no, I've got a pretty decent balance. And I know who your character is going to be. And you're not going to be able to talk about him long because I'm going to want to talk about him. Uh, really? I, but... I highly doubt you have Watto on your list. Oh, wow. Okay. Different character with the same amount of screen time. Uh, but that is 
the number nine on my list. I did a top 10 and he does make a numbered part of my honorable mentions. Yo, there's a great case to be made for Watto. Let me do my best. Awesome character. On like a personal level. And when I say I'm cheating, it's it's namely because we already talked no. to, we already talked about this once. Who I really love is Qui-Gon Jinn. Like yeah. so, so <laughs> much. and Watto, you just love Qui-Gon. I, I can't blame you for that yeah, at all. I love the dynamic. And, and uh, if we ever do a podcast that's just about your favorite Star Wars character who exists only in one Star Wars movie, you'll know my answer with a bullet because it's Qui-Gon Jinn. I, I don't think short. I can argue with that one, though, either. That one's... It might be too he, boring to, well, to do well, that it's, list. It's especially the singular film because, man, who crushes it more in one film than 35 minutes of Qui-Gon? Of the million things he does well in The Phantom Menace, uh, one of them for sure is have chemistry with a hovering CGI human trafficker. Um, there are some problems with Watto uh, ethically, of course, as a human trafficker. Also, just in like his creative concept, there's arguably some anti-Semitism. Just a slave owner. Yeah. Okay. He, he's also he does sell him though, so that is trafficking. <laughs> there's there's arguably some some anti-Semitism in his character design yep. too, which I want to move past. Um, what he provides for us in Star Wars um, as a character is just some amazing. Uh, character mechanisms he's got this immunity to force persuasion which is really interesting we don't see that very often um his gambling addiction is great for oh. for chugging plot along and they manipulate that so well he's also got this bizarrely nuanced relationship with anakin that's almost like <clears throat> it's almost like stockholm syndrome -y. it's like affectionate it's almost it's reversed that because Anakin doesn't respect him, nor should he. No. But like when Anakin comes back as like an older boy and he's like, little Annie, that's kind of like a weirdly sweet scene. Um, and I think his character impact um, is enormous given his his mere six minutes in in two movies. That's the thing. He, lo he, he really loves Anakin for what Anakin can do for him. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like, like he he really does not want to lose Anakin. He wants to. He doesn't give a shit about Shmi. Shmi's older, but Anakin is a gifted mechanic. Mm -hmm. Anakin works well in his shop. Anakin's younger. Um, my guess is that when he bought uh, the two of them from Gardula the Hut, that specifically he was paying more for Anakin because of the age angle. Um, Shmi was already aging at that point, and I mean, Klieg eventually purchased her off Watto, probably because at her age she was cheaper because she was less valuable labor to Watto. And so there was a lot of value Watto had in Anakin and uh, by him potentially becoming a pod race pilot. And so as an, a gambling addict, that was potentially exciting for Watto. And so although he's betting on Sabalba, there was that potential that although he lost that immediately after because of uh, Anakin's freedom being the ultimate winner there. But it, he's a really interesting character. The Phantom Menace has, um, without a doubt, it's, it's major issues, but... Uh, it has some interesting things that aren't really replicated uh, in too many other places in Star Wars, um, but still feel extremely Star Warsy. Uh, and Watto is a character like that. He he feels um, a, like a modern version of something that would be at Jabba's palace, but at the same time doesn't immediately bring you to Jabba's palace. It just feels more connected within the universe. Like, oh, this is a really great way to bring us to a different part. Uh, Mos Espa on Tatooine where it still feels like the same place it still feels scummy and villainy but at the same time different that's what I was thinking too because like if Star Wars is a western what we get from the Mos Eisley Cantina is this is a saloon like basically yeah. like that's sure and you it's easy to convince me that there's like skeevy people hanging around 
in the saloon. But what we get from Mos Espa and Wado, it's like a really intense view at the economics of not just Tatooine, mm -hmm. but the whole galaxy. Because suddenly we're talking about Republic credits and what they're worth and where. And there's like, mm -hmm. a, there's gambling. And like, this is how George Lucas, uh, who got mocked for years about making the Star Wars prequels too political, was actually writing this incredible political allegory. He just he made a movie for kids, which is why it was it was maybe a misstep but like there's so much world building that that Watto gets to deliver us yeah absolutely and that's I, th I think the problem with the political side of things is the trade federation sure it's the fact that they're hard to understand they're super racist yes and trade is not something that is understood by a child no but i um, understand that exactly qui-gon's ship which is padme's ship is mm -hmm. nice and yeah, I, I, and that it needs to be, it's worth a lot, but, oh, your currency doesn't work here. Oh, because you're kind of like, just like this, like thug world. It just, it, it was easier to understand. And there's more political things in, like, it's really, it's the Trade Federation. That's, that is what ruins the, the politics of the prequels and makes it so confusing, particularly for younger viewers, which is so clearly more of the focus in the prequels, uh, particularly in The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Uh, and so that's it's it's just something that doesn't align right. But I think that uh, examples like you bring up with Watto um, and, and different forms of bartering is is super fascinating. Oh, what do you think? You're some Jedi waving your hand about like that? Like it's just mm -hmm. a, it's such a great snarky line. No pot is worth two like slaves. The moment with the dice rolling and Qui Gon moves the dice. I thought that was genius when I was a kid. No pod worth two. That's that's a really good one. Um, but it's also really good because it really compares well the Watto scene, uh, like the conversations that he has with Qui Gon, to the negotiations that Luke later has with Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi. Totally. And the bartering that they have for Han Solo's life versus Anakin Skywalker's life. Uh, and then that transitions quite nicely into my third uh, character, uh, third favorite character, and that would be Jabba the Hutt. Okay, I also uh, have him higher, by the way. Oh, you have him higher? Yeah, I'm sorry so to keep I, stealing your thunder. I, I, I know you're top two then. Um, <laughs> uh, but there you go. Jabba the Hutt is one of my absolute favorites uh, in terms of the impact that you can have, especially in that singular film, because, I mean, I don't give a shit about the minute and a half that happens in A New Hope. Uh, but the impact that he has in uh, six to seven minutes in Return of the Jedi, uh, he's such a phenomenal villain as someone who I don't remember a point in time where I didn't see all three of the original trilogy Jabba the Hutt was easily the the second baddie to the Emperor, in my mind, because I saw Darth Vader as, in the end, ultimately becoming good. And so although he was the baddie, there's an angle to him that you see him as the good guy if you've seen the entire originals. And Tarkin, when you're a little kid, that old man's not as scary as the giant slug. No, no way. Um, and just the way he talks, like, the, oh, 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 Jabba Tuka da Oto. And it's just like the blah, blah. It's it's. It's so good, and it's just oozes Star Wars. He is a villain for kids in a way. Like it's very easy to see he's obviously a bad guy, but at the same time, disgusting and badass in the sense that he also represents a mob boss. And I found it today; I didn't even realize it that he's got tattoos on his arm, oh, and he cool. does. I yeah, <laughs> they're like branded tattoos. So uh, not to um, to blow it no, all right now because I, I will want to go to my three. But just let me ask you. Um, because you and I saw the Star Wars movies at the same time, and neither of us mm. really remember that. Um, did you really question Jabba the Hutt's later, later um, interspliced appearance in A New Hope? Because I had to be much older before I watched it and was like, oh, wait, that looks terrible. And then I learned that he was never supposed to be in that movie. 
But when I was a kid, I just accepted that he appears in A New Hope, and then later on, he's got a longer story in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that I, because I don't remember seeing A New Hope not having seen Return of the Jedi, because I don't remember having seen, like, not having seen any of them, um, it's it's weirder to think about your first appearance, because they mention the money that Han owes earlier, and I believe they mention even Jabba before that point. I could be wrong. Right. Um, and so that certainly helps kind of illustrate his presence throughout it. And so I noticed the major difference in how he looked in The Phantom Menace, and it's the way he looks in A New Hope. I don't know if I recognized him looking different between A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, but I definitely noticed that he looked different in The Phantom Menace than he had in Return of the Jedi. Uh, and the Return of the Jedi, that's when, that's when you get the real good up-close look. And I also had a, a Jabba action figure, which was large oh, and yeah. detailed and was very clearly designed off of the... Uh, Return of the Jedi Jabba. And so that was, of course, the Jabba I viewed. So my number three is somebody we briefly talked about. Let's talk about him a little bit more. It is Grand Moff Tarkin, who appears in Star Wars for a total of five minutes and 45 seconds. Um, again, not unlike Watto, we've got a character who um, is really great because of how well they relate to another more prominent character in Star Wars. That person, in this case, of course, is, is Darth Vader. And it's really a shame that we're never again going to see Peter Cushing play off Darth Vader again in a movie. You read the book. Uh, a lot of people are, are maybe more um, educated in his backstory than I am. But it's just a dynamic that I think we're poorer for not being further exposed to. I think, anyway, it's just fascinating that, that Tarkin is willing to put Vader in his place, which no one else mm -hmm. is willing to do. And that Vader kind of accepts Tarkin doing it the way he would accept it from nobody else, except maybe Palpatine. Certainly nobody on his staff um, I assume the novel uh, kind of uh, delivers a little bit more of that dynamic. But uh, mm. yeah, Peter Cushing's menace is just so terribly cool. He has this incredibly proper British elegance for like a high-ranking fascist. Um, his presence cannot be overstated in this movie like we were talking about with Hannibal Lecter earlier on. I think a lot of casual oh. Star Wars fans would be surprised to learn he's not in all three of the original Star Wars movies, much less less than six minutes of only the first one. Um, well, none of the Imperials carry any any memorable, like none of them are memorable compared to Tarkin. As no. a kid, I only knew who Tarkin was. And that's what I want to say most about Tarkin is that this is a series uh, that aims to replicate its archetypes and characters over and over. It reuses and recycles the Sith Master, the the evil puppet master, the hero's journey, the sidekick, the droids, uh, the junk trader. There is only one Tarkin. They've tried a little bit to replicate him to a great failure. Oh, absolutely. And the attempts that they've done... Um... I mean, I don't know if they've really tried overly hard, and I think the closest that they've been able to kind of come close to in terms of creating an interesting Imperial occurs in the only other film Tarkin's in, and that would be Rogue One, and that would be Krennic. Um, That's and true. then He's they're good. kind of pitted against each other. They're very different characters. He's weaker uh, than than Tarkin. Much weaker. And Tarkin is respected to such a degree by the Emperor, and that's where he gets the ability to kind of talk a little down to Vader and a little shit to Vader because he is so f excellent at communicating the Emperor's will and uh, eliminating the need for the Emperor to do shit and to be at places. Uh, Tarkin really does an excellent job of promoting and growing the Empire, uh, putting the higher-ranking officials in place, playing the political games. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a monster of a, of a person. Uh, he grew up 
to be raised as uh, uh, a savage, essentially. He was like dropped off in the middle of like um, the woods, get tough. Yeah, with like monsters that kill you uh, and a peak where everyone in his family uh, either climbed or died trying. And like he's like, he was raised to be a, a crazy person wow. with a, a, a very different. Um, distinction between order, death, uh, and uh, like a kind of the natural order to your place in it. Um, and so, yes, he's he's very much a a piece in the emperor's kind of giant uh, turning empire. But at the same time, uh, it's because he's so insanely uh, tough and willing to go to the just ends of the earth to accomplish what he wants to. Right. It's just he has that incredible drive. But at the same time, his arrogance is what is what kills him. Uh, and interestingly, there is very good rumor, uh, and I think a pretty reasonable one, that Guy Henry is actually going to be reprising his role as Tarkin uh, in the Cassian TV show. Oh, and hey, this is great. And probably the technology will be better. Like, because it's, you know, it's it's yeah, forgivable, it was, but it it's, good. it's yeah, it's forgivable, but it's imperfect in Rogue One and they can do better. Yeah, they can do better. The Leia is the only one that bothers me. Um, but the, uh, it'll only be better. You're absolutely right. Uh, and the voice is exceptional. He absolutely kills it there. Yeah. And so I think it's great. He's a very appropriate villain for the Cassian TV show. And it's a great opportunity to have him be that kind of potential conduit with Vader as well. Somebody where, I mean, you give me like 20 minutes of Tarkin scattered through a few different episodes in a six or eight episode series, then that can be a pretty good looming presence or maybe make him Moff Gideon level. So he's kind of showing up at the end. Incidentally, you can get Ben Mendelsohn back for that show. And I would love to see the two of them. Uh, Definitely. Bicker. That would be really great. Yes, absolutely. Now I haven't read, uh, Catalyst, but Catalyst is considered one of the better novels, and it's a, a precursor to um, to Rogue One, and it takes place a lot. Uh, it has the, a lot of the kind of relationship between Krennic and Galen, or so. Okay, uh, and so that's kind of an interesting one. But I did. Uh, there's a lot more about Krennic and Tarkin in the Thrawn books as well, uh, and Tarkin is just such a political um, maneuvering son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's great. Okay, your number two favorite sub ten minute Star Wars character. And this is one that no chances is in your top six, um, but would definitely be uh, in our mother's number one list. Uh, <laughs> I know who this is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of her big crushes because of NYPD Blue. Oh, yeah. She loves her Jimmy Smiths. Uh, and in the case of Star Wars, so do I. Uh, Bail Organa would be my number two. Oh, who doesn't love uh, Jimmy Smiths? He's the greatest. He is, and he's so likable and endearing. And on the Jedi's side in the prequels, He's one of the only level-headed people. He's like he's on the same side as Padme, but he's not uh, quite as hysterical as she is in Revenge of the Sith. He's cut out of a couple scenes, unfortunately. Um, but the presence that he has, the importance that he has raising Leia is incredible. Yeah. Uh, his role in novels uh, has been expanded upon greatly uh, and the way that uh, Leia's relationship with uh, what is her actual father versus her bi biological father being Vader... And how Luke has such a different relationship with Vader, whereas he sees Vader as his father, whereas Leia had a father, and it's Bail Organa. It's not Darth Vader. Um, and although they're twins, Bail Organa was such an incredible father and potentially the best parent 
um, along with Shmi Skywalker, one of the best parents in Skywalker. Yeah, in, he is in Star just Wars. a good dude. There's, that's so true. He rises to the occasion. He is a fundamentally good person. Yeah. Alderaan is uh, an extremely uh, fair and run, pl- uh, fair run planet. It is, uh, of course, that's the reason as to why it's destroyed by Tarkin is because it's one of the most peaceful uh, places in the in the world, and it's it's. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily have conflict or war within because, um, just it's it's a very democratic and idealistic utopian kind of place, and which is not necessarily super realistic. But at the same time, Bail Organa is one of the founders of the rebellion. Mm. He is a a rebel. He is a political figure who's then walking into like an underground sleeper cell and giving an impassioned speech to all of the. Uh, individuals who have had their villages wiped out, and he is—he is one of the founders to everything that the original trilogy is. He's the one who sends Leia to go get Obi Wan Kenobi because he's their only hope. He is such an essential point. He is—he's in a meeting with Yoda and Obi Wan when they decide the fate of Luke and Leia for the entire galaxy. This character is so damn important, uh, and. You know, a galaxy where so many people make such huge mistakes, um, where even good characters make massive mistakes that can cause such pain. Um, all he does is, is good. Uh, and even uh, the the screams of pain when he sees a young Jedi Padawan give up his life to save him. Yeah. Um, and jumping back in uh, his speeder. And it's he's a, a fantastic character and uh, certainly one that I've, uh, grown to know more through other means of canon, um, but that uh, a big, big, big fan of Bail Organa. It's so funny we keep picking people who who stand to make appearances in in television shows on Disney Plus. <laughs> but, but oh, I hope so. Boba Fett and Tarkin and and um, I don't know. I think we've mentioned somebody else as well. But uh, yeah, Bail Organa probably going to show up again. And I don't know how I feel about them casting a young Leia. I'm open to it. But it, it it does seem like a shame that we haven't seen their father daughter relationship to a great extent. It would be nice to to develop that. It's tough because, like, do you go very young, or do you like decide, okay, are we ever going to do this? Right. Because if you're going to do it, like, do you wait like a really long time? Well, then you're not going to get Jimmy Smith. Uh, you only have Jimmy Smith now. Well, we do also have an extremely talented look alike. Uh, who's of perfect age in Millie Bobby Brown. So you have someone famous who can fully fit the role perfectly. Yeah. And okay. so if you do need to do a young Leia, you either make her so young that it doesn't really matter and you don't make her much of a character. You make her like seven or eight and it doesn't really matter. Just right. have her in the background sort of thing, like Easter egg fun thing. Uh, or if you're going to do it, you do that 15-year-old Leia and you do it right the fuck now because Bail Orga- because Jimmy Smith's ain't getting younger. Uh, and you're not going to get someone much better to fill that slot than someone like Millie Bobby Brown, because let's face it, how many amazing actors are there under the age of 18? Because frigging Carrie Fisher was so damn young when she played that role. So she's great. And I think people mostly really like her. I do worry what shitty star Wars fans would say if like she doubled up on like a geek culture franchise. And there's, that's not a good reason not to do something, but like, the the wolf the wolf pack is going to come back they're going to come after whatever teenager they they cast as younger leia yeah and i don't know if it necessarily needs to be done no i really don't and that's why i was going to say if you're ever going to do it do it now 
um, because of what you have available to you. And it's going to be, it's going to either age to the point where it's no longer uh, as valuable. But under the circumstances, I also really don't think it's needed. Um, and in the Kenobi show, it's far more likely that we'd be seeing a young Luke. Um, and I also don't think I necessarily want to see that. Right. Yeah, I definitely don't. I'm more protective of Luke. I'm more flexible about Leia, but I, I'm still uh, reluctant, I think. Yeah, I'm also, but uh, I mean, we're going to see almost definitely uh, Owen and Baru, um, and I hope maybe Bail Organa in that show as well. I mean, give it to me, give them to me and everything in that era. Why not? <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, I'm going to move on to my number two. It's right. my, that's what the, we're on, right? Number two for, for Old yep, Colin? Yeah, should be. Uh, okay, yeah, I already teased it. Job of the Hut, eight minutes and fifteen seconds in Star Wars. This is the—you already said it—the perfect second-tier villain in mm -hmm. Star Wars. Um, he is influencing the plot right from the very beginning. Whether you view him as being uh, uh, in A New Hope, and he does appear in the most recent official canonical cut for ninety seconds, um, or not, that is, he is the reason canonically yeah. Han has to get out of dodge and so that is setting our plot in motion for you know everybody's favorite character um he his motivation never changes throughout star wars it only gets richer as you learn more his story is seen uh beginning to end the han jabba rivalry uh it might be just as great of a cinematic story as an a plot in a movie as any other star wars uh movie we have already but it's so comfortable as a b plot um, who knows if it would have been further developed in the Han Solo standalone series that will never finish. That probably was, they were probably heading for the huts, right? In, in Solo. Well, they definitely were at the end of it. Right. It's um, in the movie. And I mean, fuck, I would have way preferred uh, something to do with Jabba than any of the other threads that they decided to give us in Solo. Right, but, but as it is now, Job of the Hutt's story is kind of perfect. There's like, unless you want to like get uh, kind of nitpicky about the the singers, the choreography in Jabba's Palace, which of course is oh, that's a awful, yeah. little awful. But I don't blame him for that. I think his story is perfect. We talked recently. I don't know if it was on microphone, but about how we can pull Godfather themes into Star Wars, and I, oh, I, yeah. I would love to do that. But that has already sort of been done, and it happened just a couple of years after the Godfather came out, and it's with Job of the Hutt. Um, he also is just this fabulous, disgusting monarch's motif. He's like a fat king with a turkey leg. Um, oh, big time. And, and there's just never been, and there never will be a villain so delightfully vile and indiscernible. He is exhibit A, someone you love to hate. And yeah, so he has a pet rancor. Right. And then he gets locked up and he has a rancor tamer. And then if his uh, dancer girls don't please him, he, he kills them. Right. He watches uh, them get tortured and he laughs. Yeah, and salacious B. Crumb uh, with his, his little, like, rat lizard friend. And Bib Fortuna, which he calls, like, a, something. He calls him something, like, idiot or fool or stupid or something when uh, he gets his the mind trick against him. Uh, but Jabba's another in instance of somebody who can't be mind tricked. Yeah. Uh, similar to Watto. Uh, but, yeah, Jabba is, like, the... The, the fish that he eats, he's so disgusting. But um, so another great thing about uh, Jabba and Leia that you get to see developed a little bit more in other canon materials uh, is her nickname to the underworld. So Han Solo, it, to, if you're like part of the scum and villainy of the universe, Han Solo didn't, didn't you know, marry some general, some war hero. 
he married the hut slayer oh nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) or like so i mean like they like to one view it is the smuggler han solo hut slayer or general organa and general solo the two of them have infamy to the masses on both sides yeah uh and and, like hut slayer is a like it's a nickname that uh i forget what i think she's proud of it i think that's kind of one of the little fun lines that totally. she does, but it's oh yeah, but it's it's like such a cool thing because uh, it goes further to um, I mean you have the princess Leia in the gold bikini and then using it okay we've got chains and I've got not not a whole lot here to go with but let's uh, let's strangle you with the chains that I have. It's also <laughs> so like it's he's a one badass of the, move there. One of the only characters, and I know there's like beheadings in Star Wars and and it can get pretty violent sometimes, but like he's one of the only characters you can really get away with something so brutal as a strangulation his tongue falls out at the end <sighs> yeah it's just so perverse but like even the the most prudish mother wouldn't walk into the rec room and be like what are you watching like <laughs> she would also be happy to see that guy get get yes. squished with a chain and it's uh i mean it's just it's so obviously disgusting but we're getting so much joy just talking about how disgusting it is that makes him one of the great characters yeah and one that uh really hasn't been hasn't been replicated since someone to that nope. same um like i mean like we said before wado would be the closest thing to someone of, of that caliber uh in in that category in terms of caliber of quality of character so so i i, I know we originally planned to do runners up before we do our number ones but now i'm starting to think maybe we'll just um we'll spoil it a little bit because like surely uh your number one is in my runner-up list and mine likewise and and maybe it's better we just we just finish our list and then we'll talk about who didn't make the cut sure does that work for you yeah sure okay I, I'm, I'm i'm curious to know who your number one is i think i may have an idea you were so sure know. i was going to pick the same one as you i know who you're picking well i know you know who i know you know who i'm picking yeah i indicated it to you probably a little bit before and also uh with the disclaimer on the front of this that I've experienced a lot more canon material. Right. And so the six minutes of Skywalker saga that this character is in is is six badass minutes. Yes. Some of the best. But it is not remotely like this character, if without the Clone Wars or Rebels, would not be in my top six at all. That's okay. N- not even in my top six. Uh, but the amount of detail and the the revenge tale that we learn about Maul uh, is pretty damn incredible throughout uh, the Skywalker saga and the Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, it's a character who's a blunt force object for Palpatine and uh, is used specifically to uh, partake in the duel of the fates and to take out Qui-Gon Jinn and to ultimately change the fate of the galaxy, uh, not realizing that he would be immediately discarded, forgotten upon, and that he would go on a revenge uh, quest against the person who cut him in half and against the person who discarded him, not realizing that at the last minute, the grand plans of the person who discarded him were far larger than he ever could have possibly imagined, uh, and that everything changed uh, and his role was to be discarded. Uh, he's a character who is just fueled by hatred. That's all he has. Uh, hatred, revenge, um, and he's, he's a sad, tragic character, uh, with some incredible lines. Uh, the fact that you got to see those, uh, final bits of the Clone Wars was great because you get to see the, the truly incredible Maul that I'm 
highlighting the one I'm actually highlighting here at number one, as opposed to the one that we get to see uh, grunting in the Phantom Menace. But right. uh, Darth Maul is such a cool character. Uh, the introduction of a double-bladed lightsaber is so cool in Star Wars. It changes the game from just the singular option there, and there's so many other variations that have been expanded onward from that, which is so important to the creativity of Star Wars. Uh, he's a character that was supposed to be kind of the new Vader, but at the same time was killed off in the first movie for the Skywalker saga side of it because he had served his role in Palpatine's grand plans. Uh, and then you later see uh, kind of the repercussions of that in Rebels and the Clone Wars as he tries to get his revenge on Obi-Wan. And that plays a massive role in Obi-Wan's story, another incredibly important character. So, no, Maul in particular, formerly Darth, as the, would be the one who I would put at the top of that list. Well, he's Darth uh, Maul in the Skywalker saga. He is Darth Maul in the Skywalker saga and Maul in Solo. Um, but I guess he, he, he's Maul when he's falling down that pit. So well, he's cut in half. Yeah, and, he's and, discarded. And look, you don't even have to qualify it with you've spent all this time with the Clone Wars and his story gets richer. Um, that might be true. Um, but if you had just said Darth Maul and you had never seen the Clone Wars, I would still buy it. Because like... He's yeah. like just pound for pound, like the amount of excitement that you have while watching his camera time is is everything. Like that is one of the yeah. that is one of the great action sequences in any movie, like any combat sequences. And as you mentioned, the double bladed lightsaber, like it's kind of an action trope, especially like in combat sequences, um, for suddenly the villain to pull a trick out of his hat. You know, mm. and and it is because we already have like the vernacular of what lightsabers are for him to just like have this really long hilt and oh wait, it's actually got blades on both sides. I don't remember my reaction to that, um, but surely that had to be mesmerizing to people. I mean, everybody knew it going into the movie because it was in the trailer, right? And, like probably on the damn poster. What a huge um, mistake! The the marketing for the prequels was abysmal the novels came out before the movies uh, everything was messed up can you imagine that happening now no no never. no <laughs> never no my god absolutely i remember seeing i remember seeing someone in my class reading revenge of the sith and i was like huh that doesn't make sense that's so funny you say that because i remember somebody had a uh, phantom menace picture book at school and it, the last page was obi-wan and anakin and then qui-gon's silhouette was in the sky and i was like oh does that guy die and I, so I knew Qui-Gon was going to die. Well, also, in the, there's the, the track on the, the score, which is Qui-Gon's noble end. Oh, yeah, that's um, kind of a dead giveaway, so to speak. And in and, and the scene selection, the last scene is Qui-Gon's funeral. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or second uh, last scene. In case there was any, it, it was at all cryptic, in case you weren't absolutely sure, he does have a ah, funeral. damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, he, he's very cool in, in the time he is in The Phantom Menace. The moment where he's, I know it's like cheesy, but at the same time is the only time I'd ever seen it and is my recollection of this moment. But hood down, facing the ground, doors open, hmm. perfectly timed with scoring. That was some, that was an epic moment. The oh, start yeah. of that duel, the start of Duel of the Fates. It, it, no other lightsaber fight even comes close even comes close to the start. Well, that's because no, the no other lightsaber fight is ceremonial. It's got yes. it's got this like real grace to it that there all mm. three parties are respecting. Luke and Vader do. Luke and Vader in in Cloud City. There's some there's some ceremonial elements to that. Right, but there's rage uh, and, there. I guess there is too in the Duel of the Fates, but 
Yeah. And there was going to be an Attack of the Clones until Anakin rushes Dooku. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Yeah. But I guess that goes back to that goes back to the way that uh, a proper duel would occur. Absolutely. Uh, and in the same sort of way, and the way that Dooku kind of gets them to draw their swords in the start of Revenge of the Sith, um, and the way that that kind of goes both, but then Anakin ruins it by my powers have doubled since the last time we met. And it's like, okay, he didn't need to say that part. <laughs> now he knows that your powers have doubled. That's right. I know. <laughs> You've been measuring it with like that uh, that little insulin pump you got on the side. It's, it says how powerful the chlorians are. <laughs> so you they doubled th- since last time. Is that all you want to say about Darth Maul for now? Yeah, I mean, I would. Uh, he has some, an incredible arc in Rebels that uh, continues on from the Clone Wars uh, stuff. And to be honest, uh, I actually prefer Rebels Mall of all of the malls. And uh, it is important to, although Peter Serafinowicz does a good job in the couple lines he has in The Phantom Menace, um, Sam Witwer is Darth Maul. And uh, his introduction as Starkiller in, the For- in Force Unleashed um, really brought his attention to uh, the Star Wars fandom. But uh, he captured everyone's hearts when he made Maul uh, a character as opposed to just a, a blunt force object. So you think you have a suspicion about what my number one pick is? Uh, I think I may now. Um, I uh, I'm looking through my. Uh, I'll give you a guess. Okay, I have there, I have two potential ones, and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to guess right away. Is it from the sequels? No, no, no. Okay, my two guesses would have been from the sequel trilogy. No, man. Oh, I think I know who it is. Then I I know who it is. My number one uh, sub ten minute Star Wars character, five minutes fifteen seconds, is Owen Lars. Yeah, I know that. Look, this character could so easily fall into the wicked step-parent trappings of the fairy tale tradition. He could so mm. easily be Vernon Dursley, which we've seen a million times, and it's kind of boring. He's just way more complicated than that. In five, in five goddamn minutes. Yep, yeah, okay, but so is Vernon Dursley. Uh, ultimately, oh, yeah. he is the guardian of our main hero who did not ask to be put in this position. And he struggles to relate to Luke because he's aware of the baggage that Luke brings, the the mm-hmm. danger and the fear that comes with being a Skywalker, with having a Skywalker on your ranch, uh, your farm. He doesn't abuse him. He's as good to him as he can be. And he's rough around the edges and his rugged Steinbeckian farmer's grit. He cares enough to dissuade his nephew from the world that destroyed his stepbrother, Luke's father. Um, mm-hmm. His, like, descriptions of Obi-Wan as, like, a crazy wizard, um, his reticence about the Flight Academy, these are very understandable emotions for someone in his place. Not unlike Shmi, uh, this is an unassuming average Joe who just had, like, great, tremendous responsibility thrust upon them and, and like, risk and, and, and fear. Um, and I think that makes Uncle Owen, first of all, a bad mother effer. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, I, frankly, I think the character is kind of dishonored in Star Wars for his heroic contribution. Um, oh, very much so. Like, it, it's he doesn't really deserve the end he gets. I would love to learn more about how cool I definitely know he was as a younger man. So bring it on. We mentioned that's probably to come in the in the Obi-Wan series. It would be crazy not to cast well, it's Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I'm pretty sure he already is. Um, yeah. So, I, so, like, show me him as, like a soldier or, or even if it's just like as a young kind of like, no, not a soldier starting to be, uh, um, whatever. He's he a moisture farmer. Yeah. Okay. He, um, it's what he was raised to be. He knew me Skywalker because his father was a moisture farmer. 
He, it doesn't then, mean he can't be a cowboy of some kind, though. It doesn't mean he can't be out there hunting or like. I I, I kind of agree and also kind of disagree. I think he. Sh- I don't think he should be by at all a cowboy. I think he should very much be a big time protector because he is there to protect Luke, and I think that's the reason as to why he doesn't want. Well, it's the reason as to why he doesn't want Luke to join the flight academy. So the reason as to why he's ma- he's calling Obi Wan crazy is he's trying to keep him away from all of that. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and so, I mean, but in that same capacity, I think safety above all else um, is is the big thing for him. I would, uh, I could see him maybe like taking on some Tuscan Raiders, uh, but not necessarily, but only doing it in, in a purely uh, defensive manner as opposed to. Uh, Klieg, who went out with all the boys to look for Shmi, uh, and then only a couple of them came back. Um, I would see Owen as being someone who would say, no, I'm staying here with Luke to make sure nothing happens to him. If someone comes, I will kill them and dismantle them, but I'm not going anywhere. Well, that's, and that's, you really get that sense from old Uncle, Uncle Owen. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we don't really see anything. He's just like such a, an old son of a bitch. He's so cranky about it, but it's, it's a, like a really believable performance. And this is why he and Baru are not equals in, in this discussion that we're no. having because like Baru, Luke, like she's, I don't know who this actor she is. She gives some shit for like, for denying Luke to go to the flight Academy. She's, I don't know who she is. I don't mean to like diss her. Maybe she had like, I'm sure she had better moments, <laughs> if not more famous moments. It's a, sh- it's a dog shit performance from this lady playing on through. It's terrible, <laughs> but he's so believable. He does so much with he those is. five minutes. And, and so uh, I get a lot from that. It's so interesting that we're like getting excited to see more development for these Star Wars characters we already know have brutal endings. And so like oh, deeply brutal ending for him. Yeah. Like the more we see of Joel Edgerton, the more it's going to make the bones really sad. And it's already so sad. And like yeah. I said, it, it's kind of, it does a disservice to this heroic contribution to, to saving the galaxy Yeah, or doing what no. he thought was right. Yeah, no, very smart. And also good call to not do uh, the honorable mentions. Yeah. I knew you would, I knew we would say each other's and yeah, uh, Absolutely. Let's um, let's just talk about a few other people because I I have less than you I think, but we've got some other people we should probably mention sure. who have less than. Two I did minutes. give Baru an honorable mention as well. Sure, I she mean, deserves an honorable mention, but she's in nobody's top. She's six. no Owen. No, no, absolutely not. They're not uh, not in the same category. So um, I, I I mean I also listed Darth Maul and Jango Fett, Bail Organa, General Grievous. I mean there's there's a lot of um, General Grievous has six minutes flat in Star Wars. There's a mm-hmm. lot of villains. It's easier to populate your list with antagonists because they tend to be a lot of them are only in one or two movies. Well, I'll do my seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, my seven is 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 Admiral Akbar. Okay. Uh, eight would be Maz Kanata. Nine Watto. And ten General Grievous. Okay, yeah. And so, yeah. So those are all some excellent characters there. But General Grievous, yeah, is one that's uh, he's got some problems. He's a little bit like the coughing shouldn't be there. No. He didn't need like he could be part droid, part uh, creature. He didn't need to also have a breathing problem <laughs> to be foreshadowing for Anakin, right? Um, and so I think that was I think General Grievous is a really cool character um, for the original trilogy. Wedge, uh, Biggs. Uh, Wicket. Those are three other great characters. I, I have Wicket, but that's it. Wicket for, is so cute. For, that's really it for people from the original trilogy. Like I said, like the original, almost mm. everybody matters so much and they're all in it a lot more. It's just a smaller cast is what I mean. Like their prequels have enormous casts. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, honorable mentions for the prequels, uh, Dexter, uh, Captain Tarples. And, and uh, Panaka. Uh, Panaka, absolutely. Uh, and then some also some honorable mentions for some uh, a couple of lineless characters, Plo Koon and Yaddle. Sure. Uh, a lot of impact for zero lines. Uh, and what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? Caddy right. Mundi, another uh, yes. example of a very, very misguided, uh, problematic Jedi. Uh, um, Newt Gunray, I mean, obviously we don't like them, the Viceroy, but like they really are impactful plot-wise in the prequels. They're impactful, but I will have, I'll give you my bottom six characters um, in this category, and that would be uh, Holdo, Phasma, DJ, C.O. Bibble, Boss Nass, and Nuke Gun, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with you for what it's worth, but I've, I wanted to mention him. Yeah, certainly worth mentioning. Um, from sequel trilogy, uh, Lor Santeca. Yes. Almost no time, but got some definite power in there. And actually, I'm going to very quickly just shift to a news thing. Um, he is also... Uh, his The Santeca clan is a dynasty on the forefront of technologies... Uh, and techniques uh, used in the Great Galactic Republic uh, during the times of the High Republic. And so uh, Marlin and Velis Santeca uh, are, I guess, kind of the, the leaders of the clan or the heads of the family at this point, but this would be 200 years prior to the Phantom Menace. And so we're going to learn about the history of the Santeca family more. And so Amazing. that character, that's interesting. I never stopped thinking about Lore Santeca. So this is, this is really gratifying to me. Did you say Maz Kanata already? I said Maz Kanata as uh, as my eight. She's uh, in the in the in the high level of honorable mentions. Um, uh, Vice Admiral at Holdo. We got to mention Holdo. She matters a lot. Yeah, Holdo sucks though. <laughs> uh, I've grown to. I, I I liked Holdo more than I like, than I did at the start. Um, after watching the Last Jedi in detail, Holdo sucks. Um, Snap Wexley and Captain Kennedy. Yep. Captain Kennedy talked about small part in, in the Last Jedi that actually succeeded. Uh, you give him more screen time, he'd be potentially one of the, the better uh, Imperial-like characters uh, to Tarkin. He definitely uh, was as good as uh, General Pride, um, if not a little bit better um, than General Pride was in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, and then two characters that I would like to see come up again in um, this era, and that would be Beaumont and Connix. I think those are two characters who... Uh, have partaken in some interesting battles for uh, Star Wars, uh, Beaumont being uh, kind of an archaeologist and a, and a researcher, knowing a lot about the Sith, Connix being uh, blood of true Star Wars royalty. Uh, I, I think it'd be really cool to kind of see the two of them uh, learn a little bit more about those characters uh, as people who are kind of part of that time period, the same way that I'm sure people would have lost their shit to hear like a, a Wedge Antilles story in the 80s. Yeah, I... Agree, and I listed them too, if only because you and I tend to talk about them a lot. It might be like a little bit of a pipe dream to to get like a really vast story from them, but I I, I would oh, love yeah. it. I just think in terms of if you're doing an ensemble uh, show of like a band of characters, which is what Star Wars generally is, is always going to be an ensemble of a band of characters. If you're gonna re if you're gonna go to that era. Uh, and bring in some of those characters with minimal screen time. I think that's a good place to start. And look, let me uh, steal your thunder and take this one from you. Uh, Babu Frick, man. 90 seconds. Uh, Babu! <laughs> that's a golden 90 seconds, not a second wasted. Oh, I know. He is so good. I absolutely adore Babu Frick. Um, one of the best parts of Rise of Skywalker. Um, I will give some other ones, though. These are not uh, Skywalker Saga uh, under 10 minutes, but these are some 
the six characters who are very good from the other two movies who have less than 10 minutes. Krennic has about 10 minutes. Okay. It's pretty much right on. Uh, Chirrut has nine minutes. Uh, K2SO has nine minutes. Two awesome characters there. Uh, Galen Urso, six and a half. Uh, Rio from Solo with three minutes. Uh, and then Dryden Voss with seven and a half minutes. Okay. I do so. like Dryden Voss, to be honest. Dryden Voss is good. As much as I shit on that movie, I like Dryden Voss. I think there's a decent chance we'll be getting more of Dryden Voss, uh, whether it's from uh, some crime syndicate show of sorts um, or whether it's going to be from um, The Bad Batch, maybe. They already created uh, what he looked like uh, in The Clone Wars, so right. they've got uh, an animated version of him there. So who knows? could be very interesting to see more about Crimson Dawn uh, and Maul's uh, relationship with him because we never see the two of them talking, just talking of Voss's... Uh, understanding that Maul would kill him if shit goes wrong. So we're already about an hour and a quarter. Do you have anything more you want to say? Do you want to do you, uh, that is all my notes. Do you do you want to do a little never ending saga or do you want to skip to the news? Uh it's up to you. We can do a little never ending saga if you want. So or... Let's let's just keep it really tight. This is just where we kind of talk about what we'd like to come next. You and I had dinner last night and we got to discuss a little bit off the microphone what we thought would be a good direction. Um we discussed further that twins would probably be a nice idea for a little like like joint yeah. protagonism that might be kind of neat. How old do you make them though in that regard? And are they are they raised children? Are they? Um, like, do you keep the Skywalker saga going in that regard because it is about family and Skywalkers? Or uh, in theory, Finn doesn't have a last name. Is Finn a Skywalker as well? Uh, can you make them his kids? I don't know. Like, how do you go about it? I don't know. I feel so weird about Ray having kids. I just have a really hard time imagining that. And I'm not. I, so. So I don't know is, is my answer. I don't I don't know what to do with that. Um, and I think you make them the same age as Luke and Anakin and Ray. <laughs> I think you make them 20 because that is that is well, I mean, what we do. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So like 19 or. Yeah. 18. OK. In that range. Um, yeah. It's interesting, though. Do you make because it's a matter of. There's so many stories of the, like, the the random person being found, um, but I mean that is in general a bit of the hero's journey, the being found sort of part of it. But at the same time, um, we don't necessarily want someone just from a desert again. Or no, so and does it make sense? And family is such a big thing. You do need to kind of continue that on or else it's not the skywalker saga anymore it's something different right and i wonder if maybe it's like why if we're gonna do twins like maybe because we've already decided it's best if like the jedi is like kind of a thriving growing better ideology once again if not yeah. on like a like a really strict um bureaucratic level as in phantom menace it's at least like a healthy thing that exists yeah. um Maybe we don't do two twin Jedis. Maybe they're twins, but for some reason, one of them is born completely force non-sensitive, and it creates this like confusing dynamic where they like are lost. Right? They don't. They don't. They don't really know who they are or what they're supposed to do. And maybe that. Then what? What do they do then? Well, maybe they become villainous uh, in like a, no, obviously not like a a Sith kind of way, a dark side kind of way, but maybe it leads them to to search for belonging. Yeah, I don't know because then are they then are they powerful or are they just um, just, just pathetic? Well, we talked about incorporating the huts right as as like a really interesting uh, way to bring back like traditional villainy, not necessarily through the dark side. And that yeah, could, like, think... that, we could just make this person like 
uh, you know, on, on the road to, to being not useful to the resistance? Well, I mean, they're not the resistance anymore either. And I think that's an important angle. Okay. Um, but you, you understand, right. That there's good guys and bad guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I just mean in terms of like, I guess that's kind of the thing is, yeah, what are they? What are they really going to do? I mean, I'm just, I'm not quite sure. Like, um, I don't know, Ross. I haven't written the movie yet. I'm trying to spitball this uh, stuff uh, with you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to as well. I can't think of anything. Okay. So, you, would you do a boy and a girl? Um, yeah. Do you? I think that seems like the most natural thing, and we already have the precedent for boy-girl twins in Star Wars. It's just kind of a nice way to bring that back. And yeah. plus, movies for kids, you get everybody involved. Do then, is it then like if you have one of them not have the force, is it kind of the same as Leia choosing not to have the force in that regard or choosing not to use it? Um, I don't think it's, first of all, I think the that terminology you just used is uh, maybe more informed than you realize. I don't think people necessarily realize she chose not to use the force. Um, I think most of us just view it as Luke caught on faster. Um for sure we already have the the idea that like leia's not a jedi mm. um but also there are no jedi in return of the jedi right it's the return of the jedi if we're creating yeah. a world where that's not the case and actually there's a premium placed on being a jedi because we like like jedis again especially if they're ray's kids like wouldn't it be okay, kind of well, weird if ray had twins and one of them was completely force unsensitive well i think that that right there it doesn't make any sense so that's, I think, if if that's the case, then there needs to be good reason as to why. And then that's an inc that's inciting because what is the, there's got to be a, it, it doesn't make, it, it makes all other things make no sense almost but, but, kind of. But maybe that's so, a, a great way to, yeah. to kind of push this person away. Like, like he, yeah. he or she senses, like my people say they like me, but they don't trust me. And like there, there's a long history in Star Wars of the good guys not trusting somebody who maybe they should give more credit to. Yeah. I'm yeah, not saying this does... person should like be the ultimate like villain of the series at all. I'm just saying that's a great way to create a little family drama. And it's sad. Do they ultimately have the force? They just yeah, I thought it, I thought it? I thought of that too. Like maybe but except for that, we've done that before too. Or did we really? No, because we kind of see Leia use the force before we know she's his sister. Yeah, kind of, but not not in the sense of no one knows what the that's. It's true. We wouldn't have called it the force even. It was just yeah. At that point, no. Okay, well, this is something to think about. That's your homework. Yeah, it can certainly make sense. All right, let's go on to the news. What's going on? We actually have a few things. Last week we had nothing to talk about. A big one I know is that uh, I mean the movie slate got pushed. Yes, the movie slate did get pushed. Everything's bumped back a year: twenty twenty three, twenty twenty five, and twenty twenty seven now. Um, they were just waiting to say that this could be because of COVID, but also the fact that they fired the people who were going to be doing the movie in 2022. So no fucking shit they're moving this back. Man, it's so weird that it was going to be that soon. 2022 is not that far off. Well, they like to not give their people any time to create anything That's that true. they've thought through. God damn, they want to just churn these things out like butter. Well, that's the thing. Like, There's a reason as to why... like. The rise, like the Last Jedi and the Force Awakens and the Rise of Skywalker, it's not like the, JJ's people forgot how to edit, right? It's not like these people are, are are should be should have been as bad at certain things as they were. Like they were on a stupid time clock. Yeah, they were too way too constrained. Yeah, and and I think that's been one of the huge issues. And so I think this is is great. It's an extra year where 
oh, wow, that extra year's time was spent where you had to sit at home and you could only do kind of creative writing. Oh, darn. Yeah, but I worry uh, a little bit. I mean, I'm bit. thrilled with the Obi-Wan delays as well because it means we're not getting something that's half-assed. But there's reason to be concerned that the Disney execs, at least at Lucasfilm, aren't too crazy about creative writing, as you put it. You know, I don't I don't know how welcoming they're going to be to, even with, with like a new chapter, you know? Well, I, I hope so. It's an interesting take because to a degree, I think their problem has been their willingness to just go with creative writing. Oh. They think that J.J. Abrams is more important than Star Wars. Oh, sure. They That's fair. that Ryan Johnson is more important than Star Wars. And they have focused on them delivering their version of Star Wars as opposed to what Jon Favreau is doing, which is he is using the inspirations of um, Westerns and Samurai to create... Um, the formula that creates Star Wars. Well, I agree, except as that best I, as possible. I I think that J.J. Abrams does respect the sanctity of Star Wars, and I think that they did not give Colin Trevorrow the the creative uh, liberty that he needed to make his movie. So I'm not sure that totally checks out. I think yes and no because I think there's there's the checks and balances. Colin Trevorrow had a fundamental misunderstanding of Star Wars. His script has a fundamental flaw in it that couldn't like George Lucas would have would have probably vocally come out and said, take back the money. I don't care. Yeah. This was crap. Doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, this, this, this just shat over everything I've ever done. Well, fans uh, would have done the same then, I guess. But at the same time, the majority of Duel of the Fates is a better script because it had a longer time to workshop. Right. It's a, overall, it's a better, it creates a better movie and it wraps up the saga better. It has a, a fundamental decision that Ray makes at the end and that has to deal with Ray and Kylo's ultimate fates that, would have undone the entire sequel trilogy and all and made all of Star Wars make no sense. Remind me really quickly, what was that one thing that was so Ray wrong? was going to tap into her inner rage to kill Kylo. Oh yeah, no, that doesn't work. That is so fucking stupid. Oh yeah, that doesn't work. Um, and also Kylo triples down on being evil, which uh, some people wanted. And ultimately, if that would have been the creative decision, I would have had to get over it. But I preferred his redemption arc. And I thought that was one thing that J.J. absolutely knocked out of the park in Rise of Skywalker. And so I, I definitely don't think that these people disrespect the sanctity of Star Wars. I think they were given way too much freedom to just do whatever the fuck they wanted. Right. Um, and so it's it's kind of a little bit one of those back and forths that if you can have Dave Filoni be that final decision-making voice on kind of the overall premise, or if you can have people who like Taika Waititi who's worked with Dave Filoni and Favreau, so he already knows the sandbox he's in. Mm. You can then give them the creative freedom so that you're you understand what you're getting as opposed to this pure like, oh, you have lens flare creative freedom. You have you can use as much red as you want, Ryan Johnson. It doesn't need to like match the the spirit of others. And so like all those like, those things are kind of up in the air for sure. Um, and I think that someone like Taika, who is probably the one doing the next movie, um, is the most prepared to do so after working on the Mando. Right. I always forget he's making a movie. That's that's really great. What else is in the news? Uh, this happened pretty soon after, but the uh, after our last episode. But it's almost it's it's looking pretty strong. Like we're gonna get uh, the Calrissian Chronicles as a TV show, um, or something of the that akin. And so honestly, uh, Lando, yeah, call them that. That's a great definitely. Name. Yeah. Well, that's what he that's what he does. His little his, his diary. Yeah, I know to himself. Uh, and so it's it, it works perfectly. Uh, I really hope it's a sequel to uh, Solo and not a prequel because I don't want L3 in it. 
but I think it mm. only makes sense and it unites the time periods and the other rumors that have been going around, like eventually Alden coming back. Um, Ray Park, uh, it was, he shaved his head a while back and was getting in training. Uh, and so it was very highly believed or it made a ton of sense to me that he was likely coming back for a live action show, uh, TBD on the status of his life right now. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of makeup there. So, so who knows the character is different from, uh, the physical, uh, acting of it. Right. And they're going to get Sam Witwer to voice him anyway. Exactly. And, uh, the, the menacing portrayal of mob boss mall. Uh, requires more uh, soliloquies than um, dancing around with the double-bladed lightsaber. Well, this is great because I have often said that I need more Kira and that would be an opportunity to do that. Exactly. At first I was like, no, they're going to do a prequel. They always do prequels. But then I remembered Phoebe Waller-Bridge is not going to do a Star Wars TV show. She's just not. Um, And so that's great. And I actually am a little surprised to hear that Donald Glover would be willing to commit to something so elaborate, even as a Star Wars fan. It just seems so mainstream for him. But I don't know. It, maybe I don't give him enough credit. Maybe I think that he's too like highfalutin. And actually, he on that uh, community reunion, he yeah. was a blast. So he was yeah. giving them shit because they said because they didn't include him on the text thread because they thought he was too busy. <laughs> yeah, I think we all create this narrative that he's like too. Um, He's too high and mighty about art and stuff. He's just like, in, whatever, I make good shit. Let me do what I want. Well, yeah, also on the community panel, like we were just talking about there, like, he, he made his background like a giant picture of like Kermit the Frog's dick. Yeah. Like, he, he's, just a, <laughs> he's just a goof. I watched Weirdo again uh, on the weekend, and it's like his comedy special. He's so talented in that oh, yeah. regard. And a lot of people have been theorizing, if you're going to get Donald Glover, and he's going to put the time into it, and if he loves Lando... Why not get him to write it too? Oh hell yes! <laughs> well, and now that you say get that, get him to show run it, and then get like a guy like Rick Famuyiwa who worked oh, on The Mandalorian. Oh my god, I'm so compelled now. Collectively work on it together. That'd be incredible. Well, like there's a famous uh, Deadpool show that that he show ran yep. that just never happened. It just like he got he mm-hmm. got, and this is where you would they have to the be plug on him. Well, and they could pull the plug on on him at star wars too and he he wouldn't like notes that much right because he's an artist and he he is a great one um but he worked on a movie where the directors got fired so he has been around it even at star wars he's seen it before and they also want this to work oh yeah i mean this is hypothetical but they would want that to work he currently like that's a powerful powerful person right now at the moment and in the position that star wars is in in the negotiations at the moment, he carries everything in those conversations. If they want him back, he can kind of get whatever he wants if he wants to come, if, if they want him bad enough. Man, and, I love uh, that. I'm so in. And I know I've said some I things that I, cool. I didn't I didn't totally uh, click with his portrayal of Lando and Solo. Maybe it was the movie. I didn't dislike it. I just had some some issues with it. I can, I can be persuaded. Show me more. Yeah, I really liked it. You nailed it. And it was one of those glass shatter moments. And then I realized 100% what you picked up on. And it's, he's just not loud enough. Yeah. Uh, Billy Dee's like really, uh, he really projects his like voice. Guttural. Yeah. Uh, he's got the, the that just deep uh, baritone, whereas it's uh, it's just a, a little softer with, uh, with Donald Glover. Yep. But it could still absolutely work. Uh, and even, like, it's still even like a, like, he did a good job of showing that it's the same Lando as well. Um, but still a Lando that isn't quite as assured of himself. Like, 
I don't like the terms, but I'll accept the terms sort of thing. But that's um, the biggest difference between uh, him and Han. Him and Han, because Han, like, never so, gets there. When I watch Harrison Ford play Han Solo, I'm like, that guy's never met Kira in his life. That never no. happened to that guy. It just, I don't, I don't, they don't at all feel to me like the same guy. But I could and, definitely buy that those two Landos are the same guy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I actually, I, I saw some really cool art done that uh, was a drawing of the poster. And it just drew them to be, it drew Lando to be half, like, it, it was like, they morphed the the, the faces, Don, like, part Donald Glover, part young Billy D, part Alden, part young hair. It was it was kind of cool to see the way it was done in that regard. Okay. And when you see the deep fakes of, like, Alden, um, he kills it. Yeah. Like, the mannerisms, the movements, he does everything so to a T. But Harrison Ford, you can't take the, the Harrison Ford out of Han Solo. That's right. That's it. You, you, can put, you can put the Harrison for you can put the Han Solo into Alden and you can make Alden do the Han Solo, but he's doing Harrison. He's doing bits of Harrison Ford and he's not Harrison Ford. And that's the reason why that movie was problematic in my opinion, because it was just, it, it was doomed. Well, this is the way to fix it. This is the way to get everything you want totally. without having this big elephant in the room, which is we never, we never asked for a different Han Solo. It's the better sequel. Yeah, and I'm also, I prefer television across the board, uh, and Mandalorian uh, has definitely not made me weary of the future of live-action television for Star Wars, so I am, I'm only more excited about that. What else is going on? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, uh, just, I guess, that that rumor came from uh, Kessel Run Transmissions, uh, and just specifically that they were the same ones that got the Bad Batch one right and a few other one right, so it's a pretty solid rumor. It seems to be that... Like you're able to figure out which ones are just bullshit rumors by tracing yeah. where they come from. <laughs> um, Brie Larson indeed auditioned for Jin or so. Oh, Jin. Uh, okay, so that's weird. It, yeah, I thought it was Jin. I, th I over Ray. Just something for the timing seemed to make a little bit more sense. Um, other than that, not a whole lot. Uh, a little bit of information about the High Republic era with the Santeca clan uh, operating very closely with the High Republic. Uh, they have a secret. Uh, of their family as their, uh, their, their rise did not come without a cost mm. within the galaxy. So I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, and then there's also uh, Kevin Scott talked about one of the other major uh, Jedis of the era, Skur, who's a Trandoshan Jedi. Uh, and so it's just interesting that kind of introducing these kind of like the Jedi masters, almost like the, the, the masters of the, the, the High Council right. um, for that era. And it's interesting to kind of see the way that they're breaking them down and to look at kind of the era change and what they've evolved into and how these group of Jedi will evolve over a few hundred years into the ones uh, that we see in the Phantom Menace. It's just kind of cool. Right on. Cool. And that would be it for the news. Not a whole lot out there. Okay. Well, uh, all I want to say is that uh, there are no Star Wars birthdays in the last week of July or the first week of August, uh, but I did miss one last week on the podcast. So a uh, happy belated birthday on Wednesday, July 22nd to James Arnold Taylor. I figured you'd be ah, happy nice. I, I included him. Uh, yes. Nothing else to say except for that. We would love to hear your uh, top six favorite Star Wars characters with less than 10 minutes of screen time. And there's a, a really great way to to get all of the numbers you need on how to make your list. Uh, IMDb has put it all together. They can tell you everybody's uh, screen time in all the Star Wars movies. And I'll link that page in the liner notes of this podcast to make it really easy for you. Tweet us awesome. at Recorder66Podcast. Email Recorder66... No, I always get this wrong. 
Tweet us at Recorder66. Email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Uh, And until we are together again, may the force be with you. Thank you.